Hello, and welcome back to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast. As always, I'm the host, Sean Boyce, CEO and founder of Next Step. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show, Daniel Senyard. Daniel is the co-founder and CEO of Shep. Hello, Daniel. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. If you could, please tell us more about your background and how you became the founder and CEO of Shep. Sure. So I was born in South Africa, and um, my intention was to become an English teacher. And so I was studying English and education in South Africa, um, moved over to the UK and was sort of in studying in London, uh, met an American, moved over to Santa Barbara to finish up my degree and uh, found out that there was no such thing as a education degree at the school I was at. That was kind of a credentialing. So I kind of started studying creative writing and kind of went from out of that into uh, marketing roles. So uh, I was at a uh, you know, digital agency up in Seattle and then moved down to uh, Austin, Texas about 13 years ago when my wife got pregnant and um, you know, I was working in marketing departments of, of large companies. Uh, I was going to a lot of concerts, you know, Seattle and Austin are great for live music and was a big live music fan and uh, had also been writing, doing some freelance journalism on the side around tech and, you know, sort of going out to concerts, following tech. I saw this convergence of geolocation and social where mobile phones now had cameras. This was probably about 10, 11 years ago and had the idea for a photo sharing app, um, Sort of this was around about, you know, before Instagram, um, or maybe it was at its bourbon phase. But uh, yeah, I saw this opportunity for photo sharing at concerts and came up with this idea for a, a company called Vivo Gig, which was live music photography. Um, it's a long story, but in summary, Instagram happened and we did not <laughs> anymore. So uh, lots of lessons learned. But uh, yeah, that was sort of my first foray into startups. And then uh, I joined a travel startup as a uh, head of product, um, was there for about, I guess, about four years, including a stint in New Delhi, India, uh, after an investment, you know, kind of working on a partnership between these two travel companies, and then founded Chef. Yeah, thank you for sharing the background. I'll say I've been there myself as well, too. And among the best lessons I've learned in product are trying to start software companies and struggling or experiencing enough challenges or ultimately having to move on to another one. Uh, I still, you know, the first experience I had starting my own software uh, company, my first SaaS product, that was, I would also say, largely unsuccessful. Still to this date is probably the best lesson learned and yeah. uh, continues to teach me more and more about how to be better moving forward. So I can certainly understand and relate. Um, very cool. So if you could tell us a little bit more about Shep, what is it? Uh, how did that come to be? You know, what, tell us a little bit more about the value proposition. That's a big component to what we talk about here on the show is understanding more about software businesses, value propositions, and then we'll just kind of roll from there. So Shep is a communication platform, uh, primarily used for compliance. So basically, uh, it allows a company to communicate directly with employees as they engage with certain websites or when they take certain actions. So um, for example, an employee might have just joined a company or they're suddenly remote and they're having to learn how to use, you know, the tools and the software that their, their company requires them to. 
and maybe they want to spin up a project and they'll go to Trello and say, you know, I used Trello at my last company. I'm going to, you know, start up a project here. Uh, our, our technology is a browser extension and it knows that this company is meant to use Asana. So as you hit Trello, we can pop up sort of like intercom in the bottom corner, pop up a little notification modal that says we use Asana for project management, click here to sign in or pop up educational touch points. So it could be a training video. It could be a form. So it's a way to sort of like create uh, right place, right time, you know, messages, notifications, and workflows on top of other websites. So we, we started off in travel was kind of our first use case. And, and it was basically a way for us to pop up guidance and workflows on top of corporate travel uh, booking flows. So usually it was employees who were searching on Expedia or, or uh, Airbnb or something. And um, they were meant to be booking through a corporate booking tool like Concur. So we'd often say, hey, you're not meant to book here, go to Concur. Or it would say, make sure this is refundable or under $300 or whatever the case was. So it's a way to kind of like pop up policy prompts and training on top of these websites. Obviously when COVID happened, um, that changed. So we sort of had the push away from travel of COVID, um, but also the pull of customers. We were working with several customers who came to us and said, we want to use this outside of travel. We want to, you know, with procurement or training or whatever, we want to sort of increase our tool adoption um, and make sure people are using the right tools, storing the data in the right place. So that's when we started um, sort of working on more use cases than just travel. That's definitely something I want to talk to you a little bit more about. I know we've had conversations about it before. Obviously, COVID and the pandemic has changed pretty much everything as we know it. And some businesses obviously were impacted more significantly than others. It sounds like you were working with clients specifically around their needs around travel. Since travel was severely disrupted, obviously that changed your plans. I'm curious to learn a little bit more detail about how you went through figuring out what to do once that started developing, and then you realized, you know, as the pandemic progressed, and you realized that this wasn't going to be a temporary thing, right? What was the response from both yourself and your team? And how did you look for what you were going to become ultimately after that, or kind of preparing for your pivot? Uh, if you could talk a little bit more about that, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, we, we sort of, um, when we launched the travel use case, uh, we started off in much smaller companies, and we saw, that usually in small companies, there was an executive assistant booking travel. And we, we started talking to them and finding out that their world, there was a lot of purchasing and procurement. So we'd always had in mind, you know, beyond travel use cases about guiding behaviors with these pop-up nudges. Um, COVID kind of accelerated that. And so what we did was we, we sort of got together as a team. And, and um, there's, a, there's a great book uh, called Obviously Awesome. Um, I'll have to look up the name of the author. Uh, April Dunford, and she's been on the show. That's the one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so actually, after reading April's book, um, basically did an exercise where we looked at our capabilities and abstracted those from the market. So we said, we can know what site you're on. We can pop up, you know, targeted context-aware notifications. Um, and we, you know, w w without the travel context, we looked at where else that would be useful and, and kind of discovered this whole world of shadow SaaS, which is something I wasn't aware of, and shadow IT. So basically, 
company data being stored in you know sort of unsecure sites or being used in tools that aren't supported or approved and you know we started doing some research and trying to understand that space but it really was a a team getting together and sort of saying where where do we take this do we just put our heads in the sand and try and wait for travel to return or are we sort of unique enough and not dependent on travel that we actually have use cases outside and as i mentioned earlier coincidentally within a week of us getting together to to kind of do the strategy session we had two of our customers come to us and say while onboarding people for the travel use case um people you know other team members asked oh this is amazing this creates a brand new channel for us to communicate priorities to our employees can we use this in one was procurement and another one was kind of onboarding so as you're getting someone started showing them the tools giving them training videos you know nudging them if they're going to the wrong site so it was sort of a, a combo push and pull that always makes it easier when uh if you have not just one but both uh, yeah. obviously that uh now that makes a lot of sense so at what point did you make the decision to start you know did you how far into the pandemic i would say did you start saying all right we need to figure something out here because this is probably not going to be temporary and as such let's look for you know like you said investing more time into um, what's been suggested in April's book which is awesome all about product positioning and the value and impact that that can have and then it sounds like similarly or shortly thereafter you started hearing from clients talking about new use cases and the way you said it is also something that April talks about a lot in her book where they fall in love with a particular use case or the value they can get out of your product was that I'd love to hear more too in terms of like did, had you ever heard that before that period of time or did it just so happen to like the timing just lined up? Um, yeah. So, so I think um, I've always looked at uh, building product kind of as a hypothesis, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, I'm an advisor to a few startups and a, and a few accelerators and, you know, after, as, as you said, you know, first experiences in startups, there's a lot of lessons learned and, uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned there was not to fall in love with your product. You know, it's really important to listen to the customer and, and really spend more time with the problem than the product. And so, you know, as I said, I, I kind of think about product as a hypothesis. We think this solves a problem we probably understand, but not as well as we probably should on day one. And so you sort of go to market with that hypothesis and test it. And so, while I don't think pivot is a dirty word, I think that a pivot is a very big change, whereas you're always making adjustments. If you're actually listening to the customers in the market, you're going to make adjustments and, you know, call them pivots or not. Um, you know, that's just the way you should be building and iterating. And so we started off in the small business market, sort of SMBs, um, and very quickly saw all of our inbound came from large companies. And so we moved up market uh, we'd always anticipated small to big to multiple use cases. The, the sort of signals in the market just indicated that we needed to do that quicker than we planned. Um, now, we, we had kind of been going very deep on, on travel and building lots of travel-specific integrations and such. And um, what we did when COVID hit was uh, our value prop at that time was your employees are booking on consumer sites and you don't know it and you don't know how much they're spending until they get back after the trip. 
So our value prop was around what's called leakage. You know, you need the data when people book where they shouldn't. Um, when COVID hit, we very quickly realized that it was going to be zero leakage um, because no one is going to be booking anything at all. So we actually did our first kind of like COVID-related pivot right then and there, which was, um, that was the 13th of March, we realized that, that, that we were going to have to make, a, make an adjustment. Um, and so instead of focusing on capturing data out of channel, we, we kind of focused on building a notification system on top of that capability and realized that there was going to be a time when travel returned and that it was going to be very different. There were going to be new approval policies and rules and border restrictions and all that stuff. So we, we kind of made a, a product pivot from data capture to trigger, you know, action triggered notifications. And so that was our first thing. We'd seen our customer base zero out and we made that adjustment, launched a new product and, uh, you know, started winning a couple clients. You know, there's not a lot of companies traveling, but, you know, we started winning some clients and pilots and such. Um, the biggest one being Discovery. So like Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, that group. Um, and that was with the new value prop around, you know, notifications. Can you travel? Do you need a vaccination? Do you need to self-quarantine? And so that's been going. And that, that, that sort of adjustment was resonating with the market because everyone was knowing there was a return to travel coming at some point. Now with the vaccine kind of coming out, that's accelerating. Um, but yeah, we sort of was, was reading April's book and we were just seeing so many clients with frozen budgets. Anything relating to travel was frozen. And we, we sort of like, this, this was you know maybe two months ago or so, we, we're just trying to decide, do we just wait till the vaccine news comes out or do we, do we sort of look at the capabilities? And because as a travel startup, we're unlike a lot because we don't collect payment, we don't issue tickets, we're not a travel tool. We're sort of a part of the travel tech stack. And so we're, we're able to say, because we're not dependent on making commissions and issuing tickets, we can have use cases outside. So um, it's a very long convoluted answer, but essentially we'd always kind of looked at um, being flexible, you know, having that startup mentality, being able to sort of make moves and adjustments and have been very proactive in listening, adjusting and evaluating. I think that last part summarizes it well, right? And we've talked about this as well also. I like the way that you put it. How I've often referred to it as well too is thinking of your product as a fluid concept. I think people um, that get involved with building or starting SaaS businesses often have this vision for exactly what the product needs to be as a solution, which I think is way more dangerous. And instead if the focus is on the problem and the customer data that you're collecting it will become more obvious what solution makes the most sense. And like you said, thinking about it in terms of that fluid concept is also smart because you're still making a lot of assumptions, right? We're innovating and as such, there's only so much we're going to be able to validate with data. And then we get a part of the way there and we put something in the hands of the customers, we measure the experience, but it's all about iterating from there, right? Doesn't necessarily mean, it's not as important where you start, what matters is what you do from there, like how you get the data, what you do with the data, how you make your product better, all of that kind of stuff, all the way down to and through these like external factors or something that impacts your market dramatically, right? Like a global pandemic, for example. So I think that's a great uh, takeaway here for sure is to just maintain that mindset regardless, right? Whether things are going well or you're experiencing additional adversity than you were expecting or whatever, 
um, that mindset will help you out along the way, obviously, and clearly it's helped you and your team. Um, the next component I was going to ask about, which is something that a lot of SaaS companies think about as well, too, is as you're as either you explicitly decide to change your target market or your target market changes over time. And there's a lot, you'll see a lot of information out there about, right, the SMB selling to the smaller companies versus going after some of these larger companies that you've talked about on this show so far uh, in the in the form of the enterprise customers. Can you talk a little bit more about the pros and cons of working with each group? And you know, if you are to prepare for making some form of a transition, how you might go about doing that, and you know what you realistically need to be thinking about, what plans need to be in place in terms of how to do it. So any insight you can share with regard to you know, selling to small companies versus selling to the enterprise and anything involved with being successful with either or both will be helpful. Yeah, I'd say the, you know, the, the, the sort of obvious difference is complexity and speed. And so with your, your sort of smaller companies, there's a, a lot less complexity in selling to them. There's you know, fewer stakeholders um, and they're able to close much faster. Uh, the challenge is that market is incredibly fragmented. And so you know, for us trying to sell a travel product, we, from the outside, there's no, there's no like huge indicators that a company travels a lot. You know, we'd sort of look at conference websites and say, okay, well, this company is exhibited X number of times. So that means they have some level of travel. Whereas when you move up market, um, you can have very clearly defined buyer profiles. And, and we basically were able to go on LinkedIn and say, if there's a travel manager as a title, that means they travel enough to care, they're going to be a target. And so there was, you know, that fragmentation versus clarity. Um, I think that's a big factor. But then you look at the, the complexity of selling into enterprise and the, the table stakes are, are huge. You know, you really are looking at, you know, SOC 2 compliance and, you know, data security, uh, encryption, having single sign-on, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, for us, we basically had to stop for several months um, and just kind of get get enterprise ready. And that, that really included, you know, a lot of stuff around the back end. It was kind of boring as, as someone from, with my, my lean towards front-end product flash and fun to be able to say, okay, no new features. This is now just about stability and doing things right and getting enterprise ready. Um, the one thing that I'll say is a big challenge is sort of the funding perspective. As a early stage startup, um, you know, selling into enterprise, you know, we just closed a pilot with a fortune 10 company and that took 18 months, you know? And so you do have to have runway when you're used to closing a SMB client, maybe for, you know, decimal points of what a large account is worth. Um, the, the challenge is, is that, that that sales cycle can take forever and there's always a new, uh, persona popping up and sort of saying, you know, I need, I need to have a look at this. I need my, my take. And so that's a, that's another, you know, so I'd say that there's two points related to that, which is make sure you have the runway to kind of follow that enterprise sales cycle, but then also really try and map it out as quickly as you can. As soon as you engage with the person you think is going to be your champion, really validate that and find out when was the last time you you know, sort of added some sort of technology like ours, how long did that take and who was involved? And that way you can try and map out the process ahead of time to set your expectations because it really can be quite shocking to, to sort of like 
you know, when we first moved into enterprise, I was like, this is great. This is going really well. I'm doing demos and people say they love it. Um, in the SMB market, that's often all it takes for someone to, you know, give you a credit card. In enterprise, that is just the very, very, very beginning. Um, yeah. I think you hit all of the critical high points there for sure. Uh, SMB, easier to make progress more quickly, typically speaking, but like you said, a fragmented market, which presents its own challenges. So kind of easier to get started, harder to get beyond that. And on the enterprise side, you know, a lot harder to get started. But once you start to have success there, that can be a game changer of and in itself as well, too. So um, and then and therein lies some of the tricky aspects of managing from one to the other kind of thing. So but the, the value and the, um, the suggestions that you provided are helpful context for people that are thinking about these in different ways. It's always helpful to understand from someone who's kind of been there, done that type thing to know what to look out for and how to prepare your, yourself and your product for it. Uh, I think something also else I'll mention there is just the, the value prop. And so, you know, we, we really thought SMB was going to be it. It's this huge untapped market, you know, um, everyone who starts a travel tech company and business travel thinks they're going to conquer the, you know, so-called unmanaged market at 70% of business travel spend. Um, but our value prop was much more around compliance and data. And so you have to kind of look at that, your value prop and who benefits from that. Uh, for us, the primary benef beneficiary was your CFO, your security team, it was all that sort of thing. And so having a browser extension um, in a smaller company means that each individual has to install it. Whereas when we moved up to enterprise, if the value prop is with the sort of higher up, you know, top down sales and processes, then you have an IT infrastructure that can push out your software. So if the value prop is not super strong to the employee, like a Slack or something where the employees are going to want to install it, you probably need IT's help to push it out. And in that case, you know, you sort of want to be up market. So that was a big consideration for us too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. I almost, without thinking uh, through all of the, uh, the details of the approach, thinking about the browser extension almost feels like it would be easier for various reasons for the smaller companies rather than the larger, but having worked in enterprise myself for years, that makes perfect sense because they can kind of, uh, because of the infrastructure management that they have and their ability to kind of roll it out to everyone. That, so it's basically, there's nothing for, if the end user is whoever's using a workstation, to be using your product, there's nothing really necessarily for them to do from the perspective of having to install it as opposed to, so the actual, the installation procedure for the end user in SMB would actually be more challenging. Yeah, yeah, so it's sort of if, if, if the employee wants to use it because there's some sort of network effect at play, they're missing out on something, or you know they're getting some great value or productivity out of it, then, then that's fine, then they will willingly install it. But if, if it is something that's more around policy procedures compliance data security that sort of thing it's, it's it can be you know quite a quite a value well quite a, quite a challenge to try and get an individual employee to care enough about that stuff that that typically isn't in their purview good point absolutely thank you for sharing daniel a uh, couple questions for you before we let you go the first is are there any specific resources that you would mention on the show where other people can go to kind of learn more about anything that we talked about today yeah, so from the travel side, um, our sort of landing page is sheptravel.com. And, and we put together recently a kind of white paper about returning to travel. 
So for companies that are looking to say they want to reopen their travel program, it's got some frameworks in there, you know, how to classify what's a uh, essential travel, you know, what tools and procedures you need to have in place before you can consider sending people back out on the road. Um, and then for everyone else, if you're in, in procurement or, you know, sort of IT, uh, you know, we've got getship.io and that's kind of got use cases and examples of non-travel, non-travel non examples that you, that you can sort of see. Thank you for sharing. Cool. Last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Yeah, so I'd say, um, you know, uh, like I said, it's sort of your, your travel managers, definitely in the, the larger companies. So if you have a IT, managed IT infrastructure, and you're looking to get better compliance or better usage out of your existing tools, not wanting to have people, you know, spending money on tools you already have, um, reach out. So get, get shep.io, um, or my email is daniel at sheptravel.com. And uh, yeah. Happy to talk. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here on the show, Daniel, and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you or anyone you know is involved in scaling a B2B SaaS business, please have them reach out to me about becoming a potential guest on our show. They can email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. This time, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Next Step Consulting. Would you like to know what the right next steps are for your B2B SaaS business? Are you trying to grow and scale, but you're stuck? We can help. To find out how Next Step can help your B2B SaaS business achieve its goals, please email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Thanks, and keep disrupting. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.